Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate, or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. The day has come to identify new opportunities where you can have independent, informed, and objective financial guidance customized to you with clear and transparent advice that is solely in your best interest. Your host, KT Thomas, is the Director of Portfolio Services and Lead Wealth Advisor at New Day Solutions, a firm offering expertise in retirement planning, estate planning, investment management, insurance planning, tax strategies, and employee benefits. With more than 25 years of experience, she is joined by Tammy Simons, Director of Advice Services and Wealth Advisor with more than 10 years of experience. New Day Solutions has a highly credentialed team with three advisors holding their CFPs, two of them holding their SEMA certificates. New Day Solutions is a female-run boutique firm dedicated to high net worth individuals families, and business owners. At New Day Solutions, we work with you to have a coordinated approach for your comprehensive investment goals and your financial planning goals. New Day Solutions is a fee-only practice, providing concierge service for all generations from a team who can see things from your side of the table. Their only objective is to make the best possible financial decisions with you. Fair and transparent financial advice from New Day Solutions. It's time to refresh your thinking when it comes to choosing a firm to serve as your trusted investment partner. Reach out to Katie and Tammy today for a free consultation or go to NewDaySolutions.com for more information. Hi, and welcome back. This is KT Thomas at KT's Money Matters. Each day, trying to find some way to help you make just a little bit more with what you do. I know that people work really hard for the money, and um, you know I want to try to help them make it, make it last as much as possible or help them figure out what the best opportunities are. And so one of the things I've figured out over the years is that stories can be so powerful. You know, there are just some people that, really put it all together and just hit it out of the park and can figure out how to make it happen. Sometimes when, you know, the odds are kind of stacked against them. So I'm always interested in how people get ahead and build. You know, I think that there um, there are some people that just have great genes, meaning they were, you know, born in wealthy families with lots of money and sent to the Ivy League parent school. And they went on to have this great successful career, but they had a really good launch pad. And that's great. And I don't mean to take anything away from people that kind of start with the right launch, but you know, let's face it. And the American story is always about finding that person that builds it from really scratch and becomes really, um, you know, a thought leader in their own industry and really a recognized leader within their business. And so, um, I like to focus on that. So I've asked uh, Christina Martini or. Tina, as we call her on the show, to come back and talk to us a little bit about herself when I think about herself as, you know, a highly recognized woman in 
a very interesting sort of niche part of law, and then also a minority in the legal business, which is just, you know, those two things together, a minority woman in a successful white guys with ties industry. I was just really impressed. I thought we'd have you back, Tina. Thanks again for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So, you know, I, I recently wrote The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money. And so what I really tried to do is give one of those, you know, you and me sitting on the couch talking about money and everything that you're trying to think about doing and try to do it in a way that didn't sound, you know, condescending and shaking my finger at someone. And I always wonder what other successful women would, want, would have wanted to tell other people. So put yourself in my seat. You're the author of this book. What wisdom would you have wanted to share with people in our community? Well, I would have wanted to just tell people to, you know, I, th- I think that the, that the key to financial success, that there are actually a few things you need to think about. First of all, what uh, do you want to achieve? How do you define financial success? Look at it from the context of what you believe and not necessarily what those around you believe. And then I think you also need to think about what are the, um, I guess, what's the reality behind success and what are the myths? And what do you take from your childhood? What are those things that you've learned from your parents or from your grandparents even that are sort of the myths behind being financially successful and, and what success means and what really sticks with you? Um, I, I think that you need to sort of go back to the basics and, and figure out how you define it because then you can sort of reverse engineer from there and figure out, well, how do I get to where I want to be with the job that I currently have or the cash flow I currently have and, and what I envision for myself? And so I would say be honest, be realistic, um, really be authentic about what it means to you and and don't necessarily look to other people and don't just look at short-term fixes, think longer term and um, start early. I I would say, you know, I developed a a pretty good habit of putting money away starting at a really young age. And I think once you develop it, it's like every other habit, you just keep doing it. And I think those are some of the things that I would that immediately come to mind as as things that have been helpful to me. Nice. Now, can I ask you, how did you pick intellectual property rights as a focus? And and maybe even back up and say, what made you decide law school was where you wanted to go? And did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? That's So this is a really funny story. I think one that you probably had no idea that you were going to get yourself into. So I actually um, am an engineer by training. Uh, My three brothers and I are all engineers. And um, I dated a guy in college who was going to go to law school, who was also an engineer. And um, long story short, we were very competitive with each other the four years that we dated. And the one, one day he said to me, I bet that you can't do better than I will on the law school admission test. And at that point, I had no vision or plan. You didn't get dared into law school. But I did get dared into law school. And I'll tell you exactly how that happened. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I never was one to leave a dare on the table. So I took the law school admission test just for the heck of it because he dared me. And I actually did do better than he did on the law school admission test. So I actually did well enough to get into Northwestern Law School. So at that point, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, this is a law school that admits 4% of the people that apply. 
So I think someone out there is trying to tell me that maybe I'm supposed to go to law school and at least try it out. So that's how I ended up going to law school. The, the, the law industry was of some interest to me. I mean, this was in a time when LA law was really popular and right. all of us were sitting there watching it on Thursday nights on, on NBC. Um, and so I had some kind of familiarity with the law, but I had not had any grand visions of becoming a lawyer. I actually was going to go work for Motorola after I graduated engineering school. And so all of this was sort of a 180 and I, I took a very different path. And so what's interesting is I started at my firm as a real estate lawyer um, and I was, it was specializing in environmental law. And I actually just fell into intellectual property because there was some extra work in that group. They needed some help. And oftentimes it's engineers that end up doing intellectual property law, especially patent law, which I don't happen to specialize in, but I do a lot of work with tech companies. And so um, that's how I ended up doing intellectual property law. I sort of fell into it. But I, I believe that life sort of directs you through different interesting things that cross your path. You end up doing what you're supposed to. And so I feel very fortunate that things just lined up in the way that they did for me to end up having a career in IP. So when you said, what would I, what would wisdom would I have said with people? It's that to be open, that maybe, that maybe the way you're supposed to go is not what you see yet. Exactly. You have to be open. And it's interesting because um, there have been several significant inflection points in my life where I definitely thought I was going to do one thing or, or, you know, that I was going to study a particular thing or what have you, um, live in a particular place. And I, I do think that things cross your path. And obviously, I believe that everybody has free will. But I also believe in serendipity. And I believe that there are things that cross our path where we can make certain decisions. And it's like one or two or three different paths that, that we can take. And it's ours to choose. And I, I do think that we're given enough clues by the universe to sort of figure out what the right, what the right path is. And I, I definitely feel like there have been at least several of those moments in my life where I've been able to choose door number one, number two, or number three. It certainly seems like it. So Northwestern, then into private practice. We dumped the guy because he can't win. Uh, yes, yeah, we did. No, I, I, <laughs> but I'm still really good friends with him. And he went on to do very, very well in, in his own right. He is not a lawyer, um, but he, he went on to do very well. Good. Well, we don't want any losers off that. People don't, <laughs> nobody has to lose in order for somebody to win. Exactly. Right. Despite what people think. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of uh, parents that listen to Money Matters. And one of the things they are, are always struggling with is how to, how, how to talk to their kids about money and what they think their kids should know. So I always, you know, I love to ask this question. Um, what, do you, what do you wish your parents had taught to you about money and finances or shared with you that might have helped you kind of like as you embarked on your professional career? I believe that my parents actually were pretty realistic with me about money. We just didn't have a lot of it when I was growing up. And my father was working two jobs. My mom stayed at home with me and my younger brother and my two older brothers were are, are old, old enough in terms of, you know, like number of years older than me and my younger brother, such that they were pretty self-sufficient being seven and 10 years older than me. So by the time that I came around, um, they were... I wouldn't say they were well on their way, but that kind of an age difference, they were pretty autonomous by the time that I was like eight, 10 years old. But I, I would say that they, that they, meaning my parents were 
very realistic about our financial situation. I think I wish that they have maybe been a little bit more um, transparent with me about how tough the finances sometimes were, just so that I understood. They tried to hide a lot of it from me because they didn't want me to be worrying about it. And I, I actually think that, you know, going, you know, like sort of rewinding, I think it would have been a valuable lesson for me, even more valuable than the lesson they already taught me, which was very valuable that you have to earn your own way and not depend on anybody else. Um, if I had known how tough it had been, I, I think I would have had even more of an appreciation for um, for what it means to be able to take care of yourself. And I would say to the parents out there that um, you know I have a number of friends who I who are you know who are my age, and I don't have any children, but they have children and they will often ask me for my advice about ways to deal with certain situations, whether it's do you buy a, a car for your kid when they're 16 or do you ask them to pay for some of their college education or, or what have you. And I, I've told them that I think whatever you are comfortable with, um, you, you sort of have to choose. But I think it's critically important to teach your children the value of being able to take care of, the, of, of themselves financially. And I mean, and, and when I say that, I mean fully take care of themselves. And whether that means getting a job when they're kids in, in high school, um, whether that means um, taking the initiative to get scholarships to pay their way through through college, um, I, I think it's really important for for today's kids to be self sufficient because we hear so many stories about how kids are still living with their parents into their thirties. And I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think it's really a very personal decision for, for parents and their children, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I mean, I had to, I had to start, I became economically self-sufficient when I was, when I was 16 years old. I just had to pay for college. I had to pay for law school. I lived with my father, but I helped financially in terms of um, paying for almost all of my education. And he obviously put a roof over, over my head and, we are very close, but he just couldn't do it. And right. so I think it's important that people be self-sufficient. Well, I, th I think it's also important that they share with you the facts, right? That they, right. I think in today's society, one of the things that I, that I think is really difficult for parents is they get it in their head that they're actually supposed to be able to provide everything because the perception that everybody's getting everything is rampant where, you know, I think about like, you know, you know, being my, being my family's first college attendee, I went to college on a scholarship, and um, and thank God for that because there really wasn't any there were there really wasn't any money. Right. And then I lived off campus. You know, I rented a little room from a woman who lived in town, and I, you know, commuted in my you know very old, nearly dead Plymouth wagon with wood grain paneling, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and ate a lot of sadly ragu and ramen noodles, and just survived and worked and went to school and. But uh, but if there was never any illusion that my parents were going to have this money and they were going to be able to send me to college. So I knew that if I were going to go, you know, they would help if they could. And my mother used to send me, you know, little checks in the mail for $25 with a little smiley face that said, love mom. And what I knew was that's like what she had. Right. That was it. But I think today's kids have this idea that the parents have this money that they could share with them and then they don't. It's really kind of a funny thing. But um you know, I have this saying about what do you tell your kids about college and paying for college? And I'll tell you what I what I said to my Jackie. I said, great grades, great school, 
good grades, state school, fair grades, community college. You let me know which one I'm paying for. That's, I, I love that. That's and I'm great. Like, it wasn't that hard. And then the other one is, and this is my biggest tip to parents everywhere, is, um, you know, the college will tell your students how they don't have to share the grades with the parents, and, but they'll send you the bill. And I said, I said to Jackie, let's be really clear. I want you to think about me like an investor in your startup. And That's I'm a great, gonna I love that. For, uh, I'm going to look for information along the way, validation that we're on the right path. So if you want me to pay that next bill, I will need to see that last report card. I think that's fantastic. And I think you are absolutely entitled to know what the grades are. It's so funny. Like people will say, oh, my, my, my child won't show me the grades. I'm like, are you out of your mind? I can't even imagine hiding my grades from my parents when I was in school. I mean, that would like never have even crossed my mind as a possibility. Sadly happens all the time. It's a funny <laughs> thing. People, people are funny. I think I've become, I've officially become a fuddy-duddy KT. <laughs> yeah, I, I might have too. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. So you have no children of your own, but if you had a 15-year-old, what would you tell them about money or about financial goals that you think they should know? Well, I would tell them that they need to get really realistic very quick about what things cost. Uh, figure out what it is that they want to accomplish and, you know, to what extent do you need money to do that? And, you know, to start developing a plan. And I would definitely be right there with them to help them develop a plan. But again, it would be all about getting them to a point as quickly as possible where they are self-sufficient and they're not dependent on anybody else. And I know that it sounds like, you know, I've got this sort of harsh view of the world, but a lot of it, as I mentioned in our time together before, um, I had to live it. You know, one day my mom, my mother was here; the next day she wasn't. And you know, sometimes these terrible things happen to people, and you have to be able to go on with your life, and you have to be able to take care of yourself. And I would say, you know, understand that you've got a supportive, loving family here who will do whatever they can to help you, but also making your way in the world and growing up is about learning how to take care of yourself. And yeah, still um, on you. Yeah. And so, you know, again, I'm here to be a support to you to figure out how you can do that. But just because I'm helping you figure out how you can do that doesn't mean I'm actually going to pay for everything for you because then you don't learn anything. So that's sort of what I would start with. And obviously I'm sure the conversation would evolve from there, but that's what, how I think I would kick things off that, you know, I believe in you and I want to give you the tools you need to be able to support yourself. Great. So one last question. Yes. You built this really nice business and now you're also running this new podcast. What are some of your financial concerns and how do you manage to ta tackle obstacles in the way and sort of get through these concerns? Well, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I have the ability to, um, to do the podcast that I'm doing, which I've done since I launched it in February, and it's called Paradigm Shift, and it's about the intersection of business and the law, and it explores topics um, that really, um, while they're legally influenced, it's very much about running a business, um, empowering yourself to be the best person you can be, and figuring out how to navigate as a professional um, through what I think has become a changed, you know, economic um, state in, in the world. And so there are a lot of different things that we talk about in the context of the podcast, including uh, 
you know, professional development, business development, personal branding, diversity and inclusion, all these different things that go into being a successful professional, particularly in the legal context. And I'd say that um, as I've been going with my podcast now for several months, what I, I feel very fortunate that I have a, a following already, and it's a pretty sizable audience, at least beyond what I had imagined um, so early on. I would say that one of the things that is on my mind and that my producer that you and I work both work together with on our respective podcasts is how do you best leverage um, thought leadership that is shared with people through something like a podcast? How do you best leverage that for purposes of continuing to grow your business? And, you know, it isn't cheap necessarily to do a podcast. And so, you know, I sort of wonder, is this just going to be a hobby that's pretty expensive or is this actually going to end side, up? A little side hobby, you know, for right. many jobs already. Yeah, you know, some people golf um, yeah. and, and and pay money to golf, and you know, I pay money to 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 do podcasts. But right. I, I I think the the question is, and it's something that I think evolves over time, is how do you take you know that thought leadership that you generate through something like a podcast and leverage it into opportunity? And I think a lot of it is um, having people on your show and reaching a community that you like and respect and who like and respect you and who want to do business with you. I think that that's really what it's all about. And it's something that evolves over time. Um, but I, I think that podcasting is where it where it's at because I think um, the traditional media for thought leadership has definitely fallen by the wayside. And it's just so much fun. I wanted to be a reporter when I was a little kid. And so I feel like I'm finally realizing my-, my Getting that other dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I've, been, I've been having a lot of fun and I can tell you have as well. You know, I was on the radio in Boston for a few years doing a call-in live talk, talk money show. Uh-huh. And I do just love it. I mean, you can't, you know, it's one of those things where it's not like make a living at it, but I definitely love the idea of being able to like unpack different ideas and tie it back to personal wealth and talk to interesting people about how they might, you know, move themselves forward. So. Again, you know, you're sort of trying to figure out, I, you know, I use it to try to help me sell the book a little bit. You know, The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money is available on Amazon. And um, so I'm working on that. And then, of course, you know, I have a very nice financial advisory practice, um, uh, New Day Solutions in New Hampshire. And, but I, but I sort of think about it like the virtuous circle, you know, I'm really not sure what I can tie to what, but it's kind of, it feels like it's all working together. It's all oh, going definitely. in the right Yeah, I, I think it's all synergistic because a big part of it also is just developing and continuing to build your professional profile. And podcasting is definitely something that's very helpful in that regard. Yeah, I think so too. So Tina, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Do you have any parting words for the Money Matters audience? Well, um, I'd say just, you know, stay focused, dream big. Um and just understand that even though your goals, at least some of them may seem unattainable, um, I think that you can, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything you want. You have to dream big and um, be positive and um, take a day at a time. That's what I would say. Great. Tina, thanks again for spending some time with us today. You'll find information about this in the show notes and, and ways for how you might get in touch with Tina. Thanks again. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.